Welcome, everyone, to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I hope that you are all well and safe and healthy. I hope that if your preference is to wear a mask and social distancing, you're doing that without, with ease and that you're avoiding people around you who don't. Um, if you're part of the protest, I honor you. If you're part of the looting, shame on you. You probably <laughs> wouldn't be listening to my show. Um, but all in all, it is a great time for all of us to come together and hear diverse voices. So as such, I have a very interesting guest tonight. Dr. Stephanie Newman earned her Ph.D. in clinical psychology psychology from Columbia University and a postdoctoral certificate um, from from PANY, which is formerly the New York University Institute. She's a board-certified analyst, has practiced in New York City for more than 25 years. Um, she writes frequent articles on parenting, bullying, teens, technology, identity, social media, and pop culture. Her work has appeared in the Washington Post, in Wall Street Journal, and specifically in psychology today, where her her posts have been shared over a million times. Um, she's written on subjects such as why teens dress exactly like their friends and strategies for ending cyberbullying. Um, she also wrote a nonfiction book called Mad Men on the Couch, which was put out by St. Martin's Press, one of our favorites, and analyzed the subconscious motivations of Don Draper and the other Mad Men characters. I can't wait to hear about that. She's just published her first fiction novel called Barbarians at the PTA, published by Sky Horse. I am so thrilled to welcome Dr. Stephanie Newman. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome. Hi, Pam. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. You have such a beautiful, robust bio that it would take me most of our time to read through everything. So I thought instead of that, I'd just ask you, you know, um, how did you decide to become a clinical, a clinical psychologist and get your Ph.D. and postdoctoral degrees? Oh, what an interesting question. Um, I didn't expect it, but I don't mind answering. It was uh, the kind of thing where I was working and living my life and going out and having whatever relationships, and things weren't working out the way I was hoping they would, and I sort of thought, who's who's driving this train? And I started to uh, read and look at myself and got a little help, and I realized this is a really interesting career. And I felt like I would like to take classes, and I did, and I switched careers. Wow. Wow. Um, You know, I, I know a lot of people are afraid of counseling. I am a firm solid believer in it i uh, i went after my youngest brother died of leukemia for grief mm-hmm. counseling and i found it immensely helpful and then after i was uh, um a victim of domestic violence a very brutal attack by my ex-husband i went to a psychiatrist then and absolutely loved it uh, the things that you learn about yourself uh, were amazing and so um, i honor you for helping people that is a a noble profession that that I think more people should avail themselves of. Well, I when I think probably when your listeners hear what you've said about your background and that you got help and that you've 
prevailed. I think that's probably very inspiring. And I really agree that people shouldn't be embarrassed. People should seek help. Um, and particularly now, there's so much. There's people are isolated. Yes. Uh, it, don't you know? There's so many ways to get help. Um, there's tele, telemedicine. Anybody can. Um, right. There's people that that text even. Um, you know, there's many different uh, outlets uh, to, that would help offer people different forms of therapy. And I also I encourage it. Yes, I do too. Which brings me to um, your book about Mad Men. And um, so I, <laughs> I love that you dissected their, their personalities, so to speak, and what motivated them. Would you talk a little bit about that book first? Because Mad Men on the Couch is really a fun book. I had a lot of fun. Thank you for saying that. It, I watched it, and then I read a Wall Street Journal article. I watched the show, and the Wall Street Journal had this article about you could diagnose, you know, Scarlett O'Hara. You could diagnose Eeyore the donkey, and I thought, bing, you could diagnose every <laughs> single one of these people. And I, 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 you know, wrote something on Psychology Today and presented it to an agent who said yes, and then we sold it right away. And it was a really, really fun book to write, um, just it, it's a very psychological show, and it's yes. uh, there's a, and it was such an interesting time in history, and so the comparison of then versus you know say ten years ago when the show came out was a right. was a, a lot of fun. You so, know so the um, sociocultural forces that 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 I looked at, or the the different kinds of personalities. It's interesting that you chose to dissect that because there was a book written a long time ago, I think in the 60s, that talked um, about marketing and um, it's the art of persuasion. And mm-hmm. I I had lost that book. I had it a long time ago, but um, went to a, a used book retailer and found it and ordered it again. So it isn't Mad Men, but it is what their company was doing, you know, as a marketing entity and, and selling stuff to people, making them think they needed everything. So it's really an interesting thing that you did. But now it turns out you you decided to turn to fiction, and so you wrote Barbarians at the PTA, which yes. really is kind of a funny, satirical look at, um, I mean, it's Desperate Housewives meets Mean Girls is kind of the tagline for it. Yes. So, um, so I love it because it is about this mother and daughter duo who are really stunned with the school system. Would you tell us where this one came from? And, oh, my gosh, how did you decide to write this? It's really nice of you to say such, you know, when you when you write fiction, it's sort of like you labor for years, and you have, it's like you've, you have a difficult labor that lasts four days, and then you bring this baby into the world, and you show it to people, and they say, wow, that is such an ugly baby. You get, you get a lot of rejection, you know, so it's thank you for saying something nice. Um, oh, it's, it's hysterical. Um, well, it was, it's basically you, when, you, when you're a psychologist, 
some some of it involves teaching, and you hear people present their own cases to you, and some of it is things you read about, and you know that's that they're written in the field or what you see it around pop culture. Some of it is what you see on the schoolyard or or what your friends that you know in different states say. And I started to hear a pattern, and really in every direction, I started to hear similarities about people feeling like the moms. Um, maybe were very, very involved, and there were these sandbox wars, you know, um, not just yeah. kids doing things, but moms doing things. And uh, it was just uh, something where I said, I'd like to start a conversation about this. It's interesting, maternal identity, you know, what, what is that, it, how does that change over the mom's, the course of mom's life or, or as her kids age? How does it vary from person to person? Um, I just began to wonder about um, being a mother or being a parent, being a caregiver, and um, about uh, how some certain people approach it and how difficult it is when you empathize when your child's in pain, very, very hard thing, and then you maybe pull out, but some people have a little more trouble pulling out and they're still in, involved in the situation, and sort of what does that mean, and um, how, to, you know, how do parents navigate all this? It's Right. It's, and of course, I wanted to use humor. Bullying is not a fun, funny topic at all. It's a very serious no. topic. So, um, so I I uh, thought it would be a, a way to get. I, it's supposed to also be a beach read, a beach read about bullying. But it is. Um, it sounds absurd, but it's it's supposed to be fun. And there's actually a love interest in the book too. Um, I'm, when I'm having a bad day, I pretend he's real. <laughs> So give let's take the elevator the elevator pitch. Sure. Sure. Um you can you can take as many floors as you need to tell us a little bit about barbarians at the PTA. Sure. Hey, I have a great book I want to tell you about. It's called tell Barbarians me. at the PTA. And uh-huh. what happens is a mom and her daughter move to a town. And it's not just about the kids starting a new school and fitting in. She's she's a young adolescent, but it's also about the mom fitting in. A long time ago, I saw a New Yorker cartoon that was so funny. It was basically the essence of it was sort of like the mom and kid are walking to school holding hands. And it might have been the dad and the kid. And the, and the parent says to the child, I wish we could take you to a school. You know, you need to get to go to a school where there are no parents. You know, the basic gist is the worst thing about school is dealing with the other parents. And I thought about that a lot and how funny it is. Um, and PTA is a great signpost because I was a volunteer for many years. I respect people in the PTA. I'm not, I'm not trashing them at all. It's more that you, everyone knows there's going to be a sandbox war when you talk about um, the PTA. They, they understand. Right. That just lets you know, oh, okay, it's taking place in a school or a school system or a, neighbor, a neighborhood or something like that. And so um, what the mom and daughter in this book do is, uh, as they move is navigate a, a new town with new uh, people and customs and um, there's some clicks and there's bullying and there's teens in social media and how does how what how much is too much and there's cyber bullies and um, and uh, it's, it's no one really knows who's doing all of these things to the kids so it unfolds over time and uh, the mother has to figure out how to be. She's also a psychologist, so, you know. It's a, it's um, it's fiction, but it was fun to write about a fictional psychologist. And she has to figure out how to live her life and 
be professional and maybe she bumps into a patient, you know, at the gym or something or at the dry cleaner or on the same team, you know, in, at the on the soccer field. So she has to be able to defend her daughter and at the same time not, um, you know, be professional with her practice and right. uh, manage all that at the same time and solve the mystery of who's bothering some of the kids. You know, um, it's you, all the topics you, you've touched on, uh, like cyberbullying and social media and, you know, even in your your nonfiction work of why girls dress like each other and, and so on and so forth. When I think about being in school, in public school, uh, it, at that time it was junior high school, it wasn't middle, middle school and high school, I don't recall ever having any of that, being aware of that happening. Well, one, there wasn't social media and there weren't cell phones. But I don't recall there being, there may have been a few really pretty girl cliques, but they were mostly nice girls anyway. You know, I was just like the average kid, you know, in junior high glasses. (laughs) I was kind of a nerd. But uh, Nerds rule the world, come on. but, But, you know, it's such a different world nowadays. So the PTAs, I think, have become kind of like condo commandos, you know, like the guy who runs your condo association. And, yeah. you know, it, it's it's kind of like the association against the residents when the association are residents, too. So um, I, I Are you saying that of, it's like a crossing guard when somebody gets a tiny bit of power, they really relish it? Is that what you're saying? They do, yes. And I think it's like that with kids in the school nowadays. You know, they become so popular, the trendsetters, the click makers, they have their followers. I wish it wasn't like that. And social media makes everything worse because they live everything online. Kids' lives are commoditized. They know everything. They feel more left out. Um, it's, it's, I think it's made things very, very difficult. I, I would I not too. want to be a teenager today. Yeah, um, you know, ki- I mean, when I see kids using, um, you know, like an iPad and they're not even in kindergarten yet, it makes oh. me nervous. It's like, go run around outside and play. I mean, my have My fun. son was four and I was seeing patients and I started to get these notices on, uh, at my city office and he was at home and I get these things on my cell phone. This has been charged to your Apple account. And I'm like, what? And he was able to figure out my password, and start ordering things. He was four. And it wasn't a bad story. He didn't spend $10 million in bankruptcy. No, I understand. But it was enough that I said, what the heck? And he was just an amazing thing how they – this is second nature to them, and they are so adept from an early age. It's just an incredible part of their lives. It is. Uh, I mean – Listen, I used to have to call my niece and say, "How do I, you know, upload an MP3 or something?" <laughs> you know, and she would, she'd go, "Oh, Auntie Pam, you're so silly." But <laughs> you know, really, I, I was not that tech savvy. I'm still not that tech savvy, and so I still often call on my, you know, grandkids or my niece or nephew to help me with stuff. But oh, you're pe- preaching to the choir. Yep. Yeah, it is. It is such a strange time. Um, I was able to, you know, I read a lot as a kid. I would sit at the 
breakfast table and read the side of a milk carton or a cereal box if I had to. And, um, you know, my mom and dad always were, were thrilled that I was reading. I was always a reader. But I think their hair would stand on and if they saw the access that kids have nowadays to things that parents don't even know they have access to. Yes, that's definitely true. So I try to deal with a little bit of that in Barbarians at the PTA in the sense that um, the daughter goes on social media. It's a new sort of landscape. She's figuring it out as she's navigating a new school. Um, her mom is, doesn't want to intrude. Her mom is negotiating the the how involved do you get. You're not, you don't want to breathe down sure. someone's neck. They need autonomy. But at the same time, if your child's becoming isolated, and this I think is going on for people in the pandemic um, that we're yes. going through. It's a very, very difficult time. There's school at home. Uh, parents have now got to, if they are fortunate and they're still working and they that's okay, they not only have their stressful cooped up and their job, they also have to help with homeschooling and, and clean the house and, and cook. It's just really, really difficult. Um, and uh, if you notice that your child has is becoming isolated you don't want to breathe down their neck but at the same time you might want to check in and say um is something going on you know because they're not able to be with their friends it's hard to know how uh, involved to get and that's part of what the book deals with yeah i'm i'm well beyond school age i can promise you that and Mm -hmm. even i'm even i miss my best friend who only lives a you know a couple miles from me um Because we're at, we are self-isolating, you know, we're trying to be smart about about everything. So, but I, I want to get back to the book. I don't want to give people the impression that this is an angst-filled book. It is not. It takes a, a look at some of these very serious topics, but with a, a funny point of view. And I kind of like that because sometimes you need humor to to get across issues. And so writing a kind of a funny story about, you know, the dictatorial president of the PTA who's totally well put together and, um, you know, kind of rules with an iron fist and then the clicks and everything else, uh, those things are very real. And for people to take them seriously, sometimes you have to add a little humor. Do you agree? I I think that's a great way to put it. I was... I was hoping um, to be able to explain some things and to be able to lay some things out for people to think about. Uh, but it's really, truly at heart, this is a beach read. This is a yeah. book about moms and kids or dads. You know, they're, you know it's, it's about parenting overall, caregivers, and um, how people fit in and how people navigate different parenting situations and um you know, and certainly teens and social media and what what to do about all that. And there are some humorous situations, and it's also absurd that it's, when a psychologist moves to town where a couple of her patients live and she has to run into them at odd moments and still try to maintain a professional demeanor and uh, and have a love life and raise her kid. And, you know, it, there's a lot going on at the same time that, that it's, you know, it's light and, and comedic, hopefully. Have you experience those things in your own real life are you talking about have i had a light and comedic life what do you mean no, no, no. <laughs> just tell I me mean, what you want to know <laughs> i mean ha- have you had to 
put on a different hat when you go out so that you, if you see any of your clients, you are still a professional. But, you know, let's face it, sometimes you want to go out and shake your booty and, you know, wear jeans and a crop top or something. I don't sure. know. No, I know. Yeah, so, I know what you're asking. It's particularly yeah. true if you're if you deal with any sort of social sites. I wrote a whole thing about people in my field on Twitter and it's it, you know, you we do have certain boundaries and those boundaries are in place because you want to give people you actually want to give people a place where it's about them. And if you're tweeting, oh, I had the worst day, or oh, my lower back hurts, or what, whatever people tweet, with, you right. know, then how can someone come in and have a session where they are, they, they don't, they, they would all immediately say, are you having a bad day? You know, is it okay? Can I? So part of it is you want to protect that as a place where the person can just have a little bit of a, a space that isn't so muddied with everything else, and also... Right. Um, you know, so the cleaner it is, the better. Um, and that, so, so there's reasons for those kind of boundaries. I would generally, if I see people, say hi, you know, be be warm and pleasant, but but then, you know, then move along because nobody, wa- nobody wants to have a personal conversation in, in public, you know. Right. Uh, you, right. You know. Well, and there, I mean, most patients, I'm sure, know there's a boundary there, and um, some don't, of course, but I would imagine some do. Now, given your book has released, um, it has, just came yes, out, just out just a few days it's just out came out. Ago. So, so you're you're getting good reviews, and congratulations on that. Thank you. Today, Star so, Magazine just called it a must-read, and Bustle named it a top 25 read for June, and I'm so fortunate to be receiving so much than to be on a podcast like this. I'm very fortunate to be receiving positive reviews. It's not an easy time. So I thank everyone. Well, so let's talk about a few other things. Um, uh, Were you always interested in writing? I was. Writing was the kind of thing where if I don't do it, I feel like I miss it. Uh, I would always use a journal. You called yourself a nerd before. I don't know. Right. You know, but I, that in that way, I always, always wrote things down, journaled, reflected, used them as a way to work things out, um, enjoyed whatever types of writing courses I took in various forms, you know, various times in school. And also mm-hmm. um, writing fiction was a new challenge that, uh, you know, it's fun to learn something as an adult. It isn't easy, but right. you're out there, you're working, you're raising your family, you're, you have all these obligations, and then you're sitting in a room and you're trying to write to a prompt. Totally new skill set required. Even if you've published nonfiction, it is so different. So right, it is so different. A new challenge. I really enjoyed that. How did you teach yourself or how did you learn to write fiction? Well, um, you know, people, it's so funny how, um, people love to kind of, psychologists are so easy to make fun of and, um, you know, and when you, when you talk about do people lay on the couch or come on, Sigmund Freud, give me a break. But I will say that, um, I found myself at a, I found myself at an open house. Do you want to write a novel? You know, it was at a local Writers Institute, and when I'm being I'm being silly and ironic when I say I found myself clearly that it, it, my unconscious, you know, I did did want to do it, 
and I saw the ad, and I I went, and I was, and I was all of a sudden. Next thing I knew, after I saw the ad, I'm sitting there thinking, should I take a class here? And so I took some classes at a local writers um, institute, uh, and. They, they, it was really fun to try to create some pages. I'm sure that that was probably the, the worst thing, probably ever put to paper when I started, but I learned. But you know, everybody says that. Uh, even the very best people, and the top of the bestseller list, who remain number one best-selling authors throughout the world, always say, you know, there's doubt when they start their books, they never know if it's, they're going to be successful or not. I, mm. I have yet to meet a writer who says, Oh yeah, I knew this was going to be a winner. You know, mm. now you say to yourself, I've got a story to tell, but every story has been told. It's just, how do you find your voice and tell oh, your right. story? You know, right. how do you tell your story? So you obviously uh, mix a lot of what you know from your real life into this book and um it was it turned out right it turned out right so that's that's a great thing thing to say i would also say that i had no idea what an enormous endeavor it would be and how many pages i would throw in the garbage pages is an old-fashioned term what whatever delete you know but how many drafts how many things you have to do until you get it right it's it is amazing to me um years of effort and it's a it's really hard to write fiction i i I, I just i just didn't know um i i really didn't understand how you you do you do 15 drafts and you throw them away i mean it's easy you have to really (laughs) want to do it and really love it but you know something um you are not the only one who does that there are writer friends of mine who are very, very well known, whose drafts are 200 pages long. Mm. And, um, and others who say, yeah, I got halfway through the book and had to throw all the throw the whole thing out. It just wasn't working. And, um, and start all over with my characters because I uh, boxed myself in or something. So, you know, you're, and there's always someone who has, you know, their first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, manuscripts that are tucked into the drawer in the bottom of the desk that probably will crinkle apart if they try to remove them, you know, fall apart, the paper will, will disintegrate. (laughs) So um, do you plan to write another book? I would love to probably somewhere down the line. I just because I like writing so much, I, I don't know if I will succeed or be able to sell another book or publish another book. It's such a long road. I'm so fortunate that I got this far, but I, I probably would, try to write something again because it is a creative outlet and feels like an important way to you know organize my myself and to 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 get I don't even know to express parts of myself to understand things so I would write something yeah you have a very analytical side and it makes sense that you'd want to nurture your creative side too so you know I, I I don't find that unusual at all so uh, as we talked about in the green room, you know, yes, I was a fan of Inside the Actor's Studio. And um, so uh, when I first started doing interviews like 5,000 years ago, um, I, I always try, when I have interesting guests, I always try something. So it's called Final Five, five quick questions and five sure. quick answers. Are you game to play? Yes, but tell me how long or short do you want the quick answers to be? 
Well, you know, this is this is, is this it. like a one-word answer. This, well, this is stump the author. Okay, so okay, okay. So whose book is on your nightstand? On my nightstand. Oh God, it's embarrassing. I don't remember his name. So I I'm reading a book and <laughs> I can't remember. Um, the last book I read was called Every Drake Starts Over, which was a lot of fun. It was that was a novel too, and I, I apologize to the brilliant author whose uh, short essays I'm reading now that I can't remember his name. Wow. <laughs> when you're writing fiction, do you want to be in a very quiet place or can you work amongst all the clutter, like in a cafe or a coffee no, shop? No, no, no. Quiet. Quiet. Um, what is the most important tool you have in your writer's toolbox? Probably a true love for letting my mind wander and be free and feeling like uh, the the best thing in the world is to kind of be in charge of your own mind and understand yourself and be able to really let it go and understand your own thoughts and your own thought process and analyze it and, and feel like you trust your own instincts and solve your, you could solve your own problems and make your own decisions and just – take time a lot of time to go through that every morning I do gratitude every morning that wasn't a very short answer but um, really feeling comfortable with my own thoughts and feelings and my own mind and um, enjoying the process of thinking a thing through and not being burdened by that is my biggest writer's tool I would say that's wonderful Um, so cats or dogs oh dogs all right. I guess Sorry I'll have you back anyway. Sorry for those who love cats. I do like them, but I've always had dogs. Grown up with yeah. them. Yeah. Okay. I I might invite you back for your next book. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have five cats. Wow. <laughs> who are often heard on the show. Wow. Um, I know. So when people ask you who you are and what you do, besides saying I'm a psychologist. What do you say when they ask about your second profession? Probably could say psychologist. It's a hybrid. I'm, you know, at the same time as psychologist, I'm a parent, but somehow a psychologist full-time, a parent full-time, and somehow um, I, I, I sometimes feel funny saying a writer. I, I like to think of myself that way, and I guess I've been published, so I'm allowed to say that, but I always feel like there are people who are real writers and they do it full time. They've done it for years and they work at newspapers and, you know, they, those are writers, you know, journalists or something. Um, but I guess I, I guess I could say it if I've, if I've done a couple of books and been published. So I guess. So. Well, you've got books and you've been published. You are an author, Dr. Stephanie Newman. Okay. Well, thank you. Tell everyone where you can find you on the web. Oh, uh, sure. My name is spelled N-E-W-M-I-N, and you could look up the Psychotherapist Next Door, which is the website handle or whatever it's called, domain name. Right. And yep. um, also um, the book Barbarians at the PTA is an any indie bookstore. I'm trying to help uh, some of the indie stores around because it's been so hard for them with no foot traffic to stay in business. So any you know anybody support their local bookstore. Um, can go online and get, you know, any book, indie bound or uh, that kind of thing. And, um, and do you use social media? 
Oh, that's what you're asking, isn't it? See, see, I have. This is my feelings about social media. Sure. Um, yeah, my name. Um, you could find me on Twitter, and um, and I, I have. I, I've just started. I've just put a toe into the, the taking a, a small foray into into uh, Instagram and Facebook. I'm not very active on those, but I have started to use them. <laughs> Listen. As someone who like is everywhere and and hates it all, I will tell you that that use the one that you're most comfortable with and and don't worry about the rest. So I take oh, half of our social, yeah, I take half of the social media and our our executive director of book reviews takes the other part of social media, and I actually try to tie them all in together because it's really a lot of work when you you know. It's a lot of work to stay relevant and so on. It is really, really hard. It is. And Dr. Stephanie Newman, I am thrilled that you came on the show. I'm so glad you're here. I wish you all the best with Barbarians at the PTA. It's, you know, so far great reviews. You're, you're, You're getting lots of headlines. And I wish you all the success. Will you come back when you put your next book out? I would love to come back. You, yeah, don't ask. Only if you bring your cats to the show. The cats are here. They're sitting right next to me. I had there to you feed go. them during. I had to feed them during this conversation <laughs> because there would have been, you know, a, a huge meow fest going on if I didn't. I so, would love to come um, back. Thank you. Okay, I want to thank um, Dr. Stephanie Newman. Her book is Barbarians at the PTA. Um, Listeners and readers, thank you for being with me, and thank you, Mom and Dad. Hey, I'll see you later. Be safe. (laughs) 